chapter 22 today, Genesis 22, and I want to thank the worship team, and Jeff, thank you for that uh, last hymn, it's one of my favorite hymns, Be Still My, Be Still My Soul, I love that one. So Genesis 22, starting in verse 1 in our study today as we continue our survey through the book of Genesis, and here Moses continues his account of first things, starting in 22, verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. You know, sometimes throughout life we wonder if God is actually going to come through and will he actually provide. I remember as a young man... Um, starting to get ready for my college days, and you know, boy, I, uh, I really wanted to get married. I wanted to find just the right person, 
and I'm looking everywhere for this person. I'm asking some girls to go out on dates from time to time. And I don't know what your experience was, but mine, my experience wasn't very good. Uh, you know, I had a, a couple there towards the end of my dating experience where, you know, I'd go out, take them out for a nice dinner, uh, maybe to a movie or something, and, you know, come back. Perfect gentleman. And, you know, the next day I hear, oh, I just want to be friends. Anybody ever get that one? And I was like, what, did I ask you to marry me or something? I'm like, I don't think so. I just I took you to dinner. We went to a movie. And, okay, just want to be friends. You know, I came to a point where I said, that's it. I'm out. I give up. <laughs> the ones I keep picking aren't working. So if you want her, you're going to have to figure it out. I'm out. You're going to be the one who provides. All of us have encountered hardship, difficulties, and trials in our walk with God, even in the midst of wondering whether or not God will provide or not. Some trials bring us to a place of not knowing what to do, where to go, or how to proceed, while other trials stop us dead in our tracks. At times like that, we often wonder, God, what are you doing? That's what I was wondering with my dating life. God, what are you doing? And the reality is God knows exactly what he's doing, and he will surely test our faith from time to time, but he alone is worthy of our worship as he is the provider of all that we need in the midst of our trials, as we'll see today. We need to make ourselves available to his loving work in our lives, laying everything on the altar as we eagerly comply with his call in our lives. In our message series, we've gone back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. The message today, God will provide. One of the most famous accounts in all of Scripture. But I want you to notice, first of all, before we get into the message, notice how love is in the forefront with this new crisis that Abraham is experiencing. Verse 2, it says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. That's the centerpiece of what's going on here. This is all an issue of love with what's taking place. The seed line of the promised redeemer has come to Abraham as we've been following from Genesis 1 all the way to 22 now. And now it goes to Isaac. And now God was going to call Abraham to lay everything on the altar. I want you to kill the boy. We know we promised the seed line would come, the promised redeemer, and here's the boy Isaac. I want you to take him out, God says. Through our study, we're, we're going to see three spiritual principles to help us understand that without a doubt, God will most certainly provide. But before we study, let's ask his help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brief moment we have in this week to just spend a moment with you. Oh God, that we'd be able to spend even more time. But Lord, help us not to miss this with what you might have for us today. That we might dive deeply into your truth to hear what you might have to say to encourage us in life that we come to a full understanding of your provision. So Lord, be our teacher, be our guide. Open your word to us that we might hear truth. And Lord, open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have. Help us to not miss anything. So Lord, by the power of your spirit, move in this place, move in our hearts and lives. We sincerely ask this in your son's wonderful and awesome name, amen. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's the first principle. God will test our faith. He will. And that's exactly what he's doing here in this passage. 
Isn't that what we see in verse 1? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and we go after these things. After what things? Well, at the end of chapter 21, Abraham makes a covenant agreement with Abimelech, who he had lied to, right? That's what we studied last week. And they're at Beersheba. And you go, Beersheba, what's the name of that town? Be'er is well, Shiva is seven. This is the seventh well that Abraham had dug. He keeps wandering and sojourning, trying to find out, you know, God, where do you want me to be? And now here's the seventh one. Of course, the number seven is the number of fulfillment for a good Jewish person. So this, maybe this is it. This might be the last well he has to dig. But this was Abraham's seventh well. But here we see that God will test our faith from time to time. First of all, as we make ourselves available to him. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, notice the response from Abraham. And he said, here I am. By the way, that's a great response to God whenever he calls on you. Here I am. Abraham made himself available to be tested. Now, many of us don't want to do that. I don't want to make myself available to be tested. We need to make ourselves available to God's work in our lives, even if that means for a time of testing Remember James, the brother of Christ, in James 1, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfected and complete, lacking in nothing. God is out to perfect you. He's out to grow you and mature you, and the only way that can take place is in the midst of the testing. Further, Paul says in Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. I'm like, what are these guys thinking? We rejoice? Count it all joy? Knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love, there it is, the centerpiece of love. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We're not tested in a vacuum. We're not tested all by ourselves. He's with us in the testing. Praise God for that. Paul adds in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And by the way, Paul is no stranger to being tested and going through difficulty, right? Listen to how he assesses it. In verse 17, for this light momentary affliction. This seems like it's an eternity, doesn't it? In the midst of it. It's just like, I wish this was a stop. Make it stop, God. And Paul says, no, 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 this is really light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. In other words, we need to make sure we have an eternal focus and not just a temporal viewpoint. For the things that are seen are transient. The here and the now comes and it goes, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's where we need to place our hope. That's where we need to end up. That's where we can find our rest. <laughs> Summer of my senior year, again, I was in one of those dating moments. There it was right before I finally said I give up on the dating thing. And at that moment in time, I actually had a, a girlfriend. I just graduated from high school, got a girlfriend. Uh, I had access to a, a convertible sports car. Uh, I know it sounds really audacious, but I had a, it was a white sunbeam alpine rapier, and you're going, what's that? Well, it's the same car that Get Smart drove, if you ever saw Get Smart. 
Now mine was exactly like his, except for his was red, and he had a machine gun under the hood, and I didn't. I didn't have a machine gun, but it was a cool car. So I got a girlfriend, I got a cool car. I had two jobs. I was working at a racquetball club. At the same time, I'm working at a Christian bookstore at a mall. I'm making money, I'm doing well, I'm gonna be starting college in the fall. This is gonna be great. I'm gonna be an engineer like my dad. I've got my life all figured out. Not only that, I'm in a, I'm in a Christian singing group playing, playing drums and singing and going to churches. Everything, everything was great. I remember driving home from my girlfriend's house one night in my little speedy sports car. I started thinking, you know, this has all come way too easy. And as a, mind you, I'm like 18, 19 years old, somewhere in there. I, I said something to the Lord. I don't, I don't know where it came from or why, but I, I just said, Lord, you know, if all that I've been blessed with here isn't good for me, then I want you to take it away. That's what I, that's what I said. And I'm here to tell you that within 30 days, it was all gone. Within 30 days, I ended up in the hospital with appendicitis, couldn't start college, I was delayed a few weeks, broke up with my girlfriend, couldn't play drums, couldn't drive the stick shift with my appendicitis. I was, I was a mess, I lost everything. It was a big mess. And on top of that, we got it so late that I came home, started my first week of college, and a week later, I abscessed, so I had to go back in the hospital. A couple times with how high the fever got, I thought I was going to die at 19. God has his way. I'm so thankful for what he took me through. Why? Because it changed the total trajectory of my whole life. And he grew me. He matured me. Still working on that. God will test our faith, first of all, as we make ourselves available to him. Secondly, as we lay everything on the altar. Notice what happens in verse two. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, at first, you'd think man, there should be a discussion on this. Like, Abraham's like, wait a minute, excuse me, time out. I don't think so. I kind of, you know, we waited. I'm 100 years old, and we finally got the boy. And, you know, my wife's 90. I don't know if you remember. We, we couldn't have a kid for a long time. And now you want me to do what? The most amazing thing here is there's no discussion. God says, I want you to go do this. Abraham says, all right. I'm in. As we lay everything on the line, everything on the altar, God asked Abraham to give up the very thing that God had promised him, a son. Beloved, we too need to be willing to give up the very thing that God has promised and then do all we can to trust him for his provision. Now, on what basis could Abraham do this? On what basis we kind of go, this is, this is crazy, extraordinary faith to take this, this huge leap of faith for him to go kill his boy. And I'd like to remind you that this is not a leap of faith at all because all you have to do is read Genesis 15 and you'll be reminded that God made some incredible promises to Abraham. 
How so? And by the way, there's a guy by the name of Soren Kierkegaard uh, years ago. He did a disservice to the church where he argued this very thing. Up to this point, Christianity was never fully recovered from what Soren Kierkegaard said. He basically divorced faith from reason in saying that God is asking this immoral demand and that for Abraham now, he's going to have to make a leap of faith. And that's the kind of faith Christians should have. Uh-uh. I'm not holding to an unreasonable, ridiculous, nonsensical faith. It's a faith that's based in reason and truth based on what he's revealed to us by what he's created and, and through his perfect word and through his perfect son. And that's sufficient. So we've, we've never recovered from this. We, evangelicalism has not recovered from this idea that faith and reason are somehow divorced somehow because of Soren Kierkegaard. Thanks, Soren. But the reality is what you believe is based on something. It's based on what? It's based on truth. So how did Abraham make this decision? Okay, God, I'll kill him. Remember Genesis 15. We taught this a few weeks back. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham, Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, God says. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abraham, it says, Believe the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from, the, from Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess. But Abraham said, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Remember, this is part of the, the problem. Abraham said, okay, I take you by faith. I believe you, but how can I know that you're going to come through, God? And notice what God says. God says to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. They were too small. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Again, here's, here's this big bloody mess. And all the birds are coming in. Here's Abram. Hey, get out of here. I'm, I'm cutting a deal. I'm cutting a deal with God. Then the Lord said to Abram, verse 13, Genesis 15, know for certain. Do you hear what he says? God said it. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners of the land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I'll bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possession. In verse 18 it goes on. And on that day the Lord made a covenant. That is God cut a cutting. God cut an agreement with Abram saying to your offspring I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And at this point, God passes between the pieces. As God passes between these torn up pieces of, of animal, remember something has to die in sacrifice to make atonement for sin. So God says, look, I, if I pass through here, may I be torn asunder as these animals are if I don't follow through with my promise. 
God cut a deal with humanity. So in Genesis 22, when God says, I want you to kill the boy, what's Abraham know? Hey, you're the one who made the promise, so if I kill him, you're going to have to fix it. And by the way, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews eleven seventeen. look on the board. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, isn't that what happened? He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, God, if you want me to do this based on what you promised me, I'm not taking a ginormous leap of faith. I'm taking a step of faith based on what you've already revealed to me about who you are and what you're going to do. And I can rest in that. So, okay, if I take the boy out, you're going to have to raise him from the dead. That's what he knew. Hebrews 11.1, 1, watch this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Are you hearing that language? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, the faith that we have isn't a, well, I hope, I hope, I hope he comes through. Oh, I hope. If I just hope hard enough, it'll happen. No, it's an assurance of hope that he will most certainly come through. But not only that, don't miss this. It's the conviction of things not seen. The conviction. In a court of law, what do you have to have to come to a conviction. What's presented in the case? What? Evidence. Isn't it fantastic? God doesn't come to you and go, I just want you to believe nonsensical things that don't make any sense with no reason or basis. He doesn't say that. I want you to take huge leaps of faith that are, faith are just ridiculous. He doesn't say that. I've given you all the evidence you need to trust me. Isn't that how it is? We come to the, the ice, right? It looks, it looks frozen. Um, if I'm going to step out on the ice, if I can take a step of faith on the ice, aren't there some things I want to know about the ice? I, I, I want to know some things. I don't just go walking out there. No, I, I want to think about it. I, I, how, how long has it been super cold, you know? Oh, it just got below freezing yesterday. I don't think I'm stepping out there. On the other hand, well, it's been below freezing for three weeks. Oh, and I look at the ice, and it looks to me like it's pretty thick. And I might even take my toe and kind of push on it a bit. It doesn't crack. It doesn't move. And I, you know, and I, I see a four-wheel drive truck out there. <laughs> oh. And so we take a step of faith based on the evidence that he's given us through what he's revealed to us, through what he's revealed to you. God, our God, is not without witness. God will test our faith as we lay everything on the altar. The question is, will we take the step of faith to do so? But thirdly here, as we eagerly comply with his call in our lives, Abraham continues to comply. Even with knowing what God is asking him to do, knowing what God is capable of, God goes through with it. It amazes me. Look at verse 3. You know, after hearing this, you'd think, you know, the next morning you hear, okay, go kill your boy. You think you'd go, you know, I think I'm going to sleep in today. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. 
He responds promptly, doesn't he? And not only that, he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He takes others with him to do ministry. It's always good to take people with you in the midst of your journey. He offers his own resources. He brings wood. He brings fire. And he goes precisely where God directs him. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He follows God's direction. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Beloved, know with certainty that God will test our faith as we make ourselves available to him, as we lay everything on the altar as we eagerly comply with his call in our lives. But secondly, know this, God is so worthy of our worship. And we see this in this passage. God is so worthy of our worship as we worship in hope. Notice what Abraham says here. Now again, he doesn't, Abraham doesn't know everything. He knows God's made promises. He doesn't know everything. But listen to what he says here, which is amazing. Then Abraham, verse five, said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. I'm going to go kill my, he's not saying this, but he's thinking it. I'm going to go kill my boy and we're going to be right back. We will be right back. You see how confident he is? God is worthy of our worship as we worship in hope. We will worship and return to you. He knows he's going up to the mountain. He knows what he's going to do. Peter writes this, 1 Peter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God is in the process. If you put your faith and trust in him, as your personal Lord and Savior, he is in the process of redeeming you and saving you. As we worship in hope, knowing we have a future. But not only that, not only that, but as we lay our burdens on him. In Abraham, it says in verse six, he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. Now you can imagine, you know, here's Isaac going, you know, something's missing here, guys. (laughs) Here we begin to see that Isaac really is a Christ type in this account in that it was Jesus, you'll recall, who carried his own cross, and now Isaac carries his own wood up the mountain to be laid on the altar with it. It's Jesus who says to us, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest as we lay our burdens on him. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, Jesus says. I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know what you're dealing with today, but if you need rest for your soul, come to him, lay it all down at his feet. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, Jesus says. Beloved, we can lay all of our burdens on him, and he is so worthy of our worship. But thirdly here, as we worship with our hands, Notice what it says in verse 6, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. In his hands, he, he carries the implement of worship, the fire and the knife of sacrifice. All of us are called to praise and worship him with clean and holy hands. Hands are seen throughout the, all of scripture, discussed. 
Psalm 24 says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Job 17.9, Yet the righteous holds to his way, and he who has clean hands grows stronger and stronger. In the New Testament, Paul writes to Timothy, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And he took in his hands the fire and the knife. God is so worthy of our worship. But fourthly here, as we walk with him, so they went on together. You see this in verse 6 and verse 8. So they went both of them together. It's like uh, building a little, you know, suspense as this account unfolds. And they went on together. And they went on together. What's going to happen? We need to walk with Jesus who laid down his life for us even when we don't know what's going to take place next. He's so, <coughs> excuse me, he's so worthy of our worship as we worship in faith. Verse 7, look at this. Finally, Isaac speaks up, and you can imagine he's been thinking for quite some time before he finally pops the question. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and of course Abraham responds, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, you know, the fire and the wood, you know, I'm carrying this stuff, uh, but uh, where's the lamb for a burnt offering? You know, we forgot something. And Abraham says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Da, na, 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 na. This is incredible faith on the part of now Isaac as he walks with his father, not knowing what is really going on behind the scenes. Beloved, we also see the great commitment on Abraham's part to keep moving toward what God had called him to do with the conclusion and knowledge that God will most certainly provide no matter what happens. We too need to worship in faith as we place our hope and trust in Christ to provide all that we need as our Savior and Lord, even right now in this moment. He's so worthy of our worship as we worship through our obedience. In verse 9, we see the full obedience of this testing with Abraham. It says, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Incredible tension. And it seems clear that Abraham is determined to follow through on what God had commanded him to do. His arm is outstretched and the knife is in his hand. He is submitted to God in his complete obedience to him. Beloved, we too need to worship God through our complete and submitted obedience to him and all that we are. Again, I don't know what you're going through today, but man, sometimes we just want stuff to just go away and I don't want to have to deal with this right now. But better for us to submit to it and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you right here, right now with whatever this is, even though I don't like it and I want it to stop. Romans 12.1 Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You really want to worship? Give it all to him, especially you. <laughs> well, that's usually the last thing I, I withhold, right? Well, I can give some other stuff. I'll give, 
I'll give money, I'll give whatever, but not me. That's my, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman, whatever. I'm not, no, you can't have me. And God says, no, I want it all. Will you trust me? Will we trust him with the reality, thirdly today, that God will provide all that we need? See, I think our problem is we don't really believe that. And this is why we have, find it hard to obey. Isn't that what happens? The thief really doesn't believe that God will provide, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands and I'm going to steal. The adulterer says, I don't believe my spouse will satisfy me sexually, so I'm going to go find someone else to find satisfaction. The liar says, I don't believe God can help me if I say what's true. God can't handle the truth. <laughs> yes, he can, he being the truth. And whenever we don't trust his provision, we find ourselves in rebellion every time. God will provide all that we need. Do you believe that this morning? Listen close. He has provided a covering for our sin. In verse 11, it says, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know for now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son, your only son. Notice the language there. Your son, your only son. For God so loved the world that he gave, what? His only son. Hmm. You've not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, what? The Lord will provide. As it is to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is our God. This is what he does. He provides. The Lord will indeed provide, and indeed he has provided for all of us. How so? This all points to Jesus Christ. God has provided the ultimate once and for all sacrifice for us in full covering of all of our sin through placing our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He has provided the ultimate covering for us. Hebrews 7.26 says this, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. This is what Jesus has done for us. Further in Hebrews 9, it goes on to say, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Beloved, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
God will provide all that we need. He has provided a covering for all of our sin, and that's what we need more than anything else. But not only that, he, he in himself will make us fruitful. That'll, there'll be progeny. God will provide. Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. This is amazing. What a great promise. If we are determined to follow after him, God promises fruitfulness even in our own kids. But it starts with us. Uh, maybe, I don't know if you come from a heritage or a generation of faithfulness. And if not, then you start it. You can be the start. As you build your generations, as God promises that if we're faithful, he will pour out his blessing, not only to us, but to our children and our children's children. He'll make us fruitful by his sheer grace. But not only that, he'll provide a place for us. That's what it says in verse 17, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. You'll have a place. And not only that, lastly, you'll have blessing. He will bless us and make us a blessing to others. This is what he does. This is what he's purposing to accomplish. And in your offspring, he says, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Think about all the blessings that God has poured out, even in the midst of the hardship, even in the midst of the difficulty that you're going through, maybe even right now, there are still yet blessings, things that he's done for you, things that Christ is accomplishing in and through you for his purposes, because it's not over yet. God will provide. He will test our faith. He is so worthy of our worship. He will ultimately provide no matter what. So, you know, I gave up on dating. I said, I'm, I'm out. I quit. And uh, fall of my sophomore year in college, I was trying to be an engineering student. I wasn't really enjoying it very much. Went to visit a friend at Taylor University, just hang out for the weekend, and I meet this girl. She seems really nice. And um, we start talking. And... Uh, you know, so we kind of hang out for the next couple of days. And at the end of the weekend, this girl presents me a, with a, a shoebox full of cookies in it. And uh, I came home from this visit to my friend, you know, at this college. And I came home and told my parents, I said, Mom, Dad, I don't think I'm going to be an engineer. Um, I need to go to Taylor University because there are women there who make men cookies. <laughs> I've got to go. So I transferred over, transferred majors, ended up in the mathematics department. And in 1985, I graduated with a degree in mathematics, secondary education, and I married the cookie maker. There she is. Yeah. And she's still really good at making cookies, as you can see. God provided. But it came, first of all, at least in my little story here, not that my, my story is the story, but my experience, it came to a point of my finally submitting to him, saying, okay, God, I'm out. You've got to figure it out. Same thing with Abraham here. Okay, God, 
you want me to kill the boy? Okay, I'm out. You're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to raise it from the dead. You're going to have to handle this. Again, I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what's in your rearview mirror chasing you. I don't know what's in front of you. You know what it is. And the question is, will you trust him? He will provide. And you go, but when, Brad? In his time. And by the way, his time is always perfect. It's always right on time. It's always when it's necessary. As he's purposing to accomplish in us, to grow us, to mature us for his purposes and ultimately for his glory. Would you please stand as we close our service? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are at work in our hearts and our lives, that we're not alone. Even sometimes we feel lonely. We know that you are, you are here. And we never have to go too far away to find you. You're right there with us. And Lord, we know that you are, you'll test us from time to time. You'll put our faith to the test for our betterment, for our growth. But Lord, we know that you and you alone are worthy of our worship, knowing full well that you are our provider. And you'll provide all that we need, even in the midst of the trials. So Lord, help us to make ourselves available in terms of how you might work in our lives. Even though we might want things to be easier or less difficult, where we know it's the difficulty that grows us and matures us, that conforms us to the image of Christ, that we might be made more like him. So Lord, help us to lay everything on the altar here. And Lord, may we eagerly comply with your call in our lives. This morning, if you're wrestling with these things, if you've got an error in your life that you're having a hard time giving over to him, I encourage you to name what, whatever that is. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a circumstance. Just name it in your heart right now. Say, Lord, I'm gonna give this to you. I'm done. You're gonna have to figure it out. You'll have to raise it up if you're gonna raise it up. You'll have to fix it. Maybe it's your future, a loved one, finances, a health issue. My challenge and encouragement to you is that even right now, you'd present your body as a living sacrifice to Christ. That which is holy and acceptable to him. And if we do that, we are really worshiping. We're worshiping you because you are our provider. So Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can always turn to you no matter what's going on. Thank you for the encouragement we have from your word. Thank you for the faithfulness of Abram as he took you at your word and you provided in an amazing way. We want to give you all the praise today. Thank you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Well, thank you so much for coming. Have a fantastic week.